I'm reading Acts 9, verses 10 to 16. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. May God bless his word. Yeah, please sit down. Excellent. So we need to pray. Holy moly. We need to pray for this service. So, Lord, just uh, be with us. Give me the words to speak, Lord. Um, just uh, help us here. And, Lord, as, as I tell these tales, Lord, just let the Holy Spirit preach the word, Lord. And I just thank you for that. Lord, we need you. It was said in the song, and we certainly do. I just ask, Lord, that as uh, we're here, that uh, we just focus on your face. We think about uh, the people in this uh, church community who uh, are in hurt and pain and suffering. And we ask, Lord, that you bless them. We just ask, Lord, now that you be with this sermon. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start today in Acts 13 and 14. Acts 13 and 14. Um, kind of, uh, I saw, all of a sudden I see faces I recognize out there and I go, well, hi, how you doing? <laughs> uh, Acts 13 and 14. Four, 13 really gives us preparation for Paul, Saul and Barnabas' uh, mission trip. And then 14 is the completion of that trip. And we get to see all of that. And then it's, it's exciting um, to follow with them. Uh, it's also exciting to see the Holy Spirit live and work and, and move through them. Well, like I said before, I simply am going to try to read this for you, and I hope that uh, the Holy Spirit, or I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to preach it. Orlando gave you the, the message, and it doesn't come from our scripture. It comes from earlier Acts 9, because we see that God had a plan. The Holy Spirit had a plan for um, Saul from the beginning. And uh, today we see. So today we're going to follow in the footsteps of the apostles. It's clear that these men, filled with the Holy Spirit, and are, are boldly glowing about spreading the gospel. You've heard it um, said before that the book is called Acts, can easily be called the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, I think in some of our Bibles it says that. But more importantly, it's really the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Um, we see these men preaching the gospel with great success at the risk of their very lives by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. Certainly there has come a change in their lives. Um, they are now receiving the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and their minds have been opened to the importance of the mission. And i got to tell you, we're going on a on an adventure uh, story today. Um, when I was a kid in the 60s, and maybe some of you that, that were there with me can remember some of these, but I used to love to watch uh, adventure tales on TV. There were a number of them. They'd come on and they'd show people traveling around the world. They'd show um, interactions with animals and, and other things, and um, they were pretty exciting to watch and, and uh, something that even as Erlen and I became our, our life as a young couple. Um, we watched together, and uh, that's what we're doing today. 
Today we're going on an adventure with the very first Christian missionaries. In this journey, we'll see the selection of Barnabas and Saul in the church at Antioch. Their first mission and Saul's growth to become a real leader in the Christian ministry to the Gentiles. The Bible teaches us to preach the gospel. And uh, I've picked out a couple selections of where the Bible preaches, teaches us. And that's in Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Romans 10, 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I've always asked Tom to uh, take off his shoes, but he won't do it. But he must have beautiful feet. And again, and this is an Acts, and this is really our marching orders. If there was a theme verse today, this is it. Acts 1.8, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That was Christ's instructions at the ascension that he's telling the apostles or the disciples at that point. He's telling them that you're going to go out and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have now in uh, 8, 9, 10, and 11, we have seen the gospel being preached, but now we begin to move to the Gentiles through, through Saul and Barnabas. And so this is being completed. Christ's words here are being completed in this. In this ministry today, um, begins with Saul's first trip to reach the ends of the earth. It's important to realize the church at Antioch, uh, where we start, had already been reaching out to the Gentiles in the surrounding area. In their community, they were primed for God to do a great work through the church while they waited for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And uh, imagine Antioch. So I do have a, a slide up here. Look at that. So Antioch is uh, here on the far left, the far eastern edge of the Mediterranean, and it's in Syria. We pretty much know where that's at nowadays. And Paul's going to begin in Antioch, and that's where the church is forming. They have moved there under persecution and come together. And if you can imagine Antioch, a city of about 250,000 people, so it's a good-sized city, but this is a first-century city. So there's probably, if there's 250,000 people, there's 300,000 animals there. So it's a very busy, bustling city. And if you can imagine uh, people coming and going, the sights and the sounds and the smells, the smells of the spices in the market, the smells of the bread that's being cooked on the street, the smells of the, of the meat, and also the smells of the donkeys and the camels and, and some of the other things. It's a real overload, maybe. And here we see in a room somewhere in Antioch a group of people who are praying. They are praying that the Lord excite them, that the Lord bring them the Holy Spirit, that the Lord give them direction. And you know, uh, I compare that today to how we pray and how, and, and, and I see a lot of parallels with us as we're, as I'm reading through Acts, because we're kind of at that point too. We're in a room, we're coming together, we're praying, we're asking for the Holy Spirit. A few months ago, as a group, your elders were praying, Lord, uh, we've got it all figured out. Lord, uh, we've got this building in mind. Um, Lord, uh, um, we, we know you're busy, and so we've, we've got it all worked out. It's going to be a metal building. It's going to be expandable by 30%. We've got landscaping planned. We're going to have a portico on the front. And yet their prayer was, Lord, work in us. Lord, lead us. And uh, I think we saw that. And we kind of stepped back and said, you know, we're not done with the building program. We're still going forward with that, but we're really going to rely on the Holy Spirit. We are holding back, and we're asking for his leadership and his direction. And so that's where it brings us today. And, and I said, uh, Christians today are tempted to pray that God give them what they want and not lead and direct their lives. We, believe, we become aware of that as we are planning for a new building, and we ask ourselves, what are we asking God, where he wants us to be, or simply what we, I'm sorry, is what we are asking God where he wants us to be, or simply where we think we deserve to be? Let's go back to the map now. Um, so Saul is uh, 
in Antioch. He's going to soon be appointed um, and will travel to the island of Cyprus, uh, going to Paphos, and it's really important. We'll spend some time there. On to Perga, uh, on up to Antioch. The other Antioch, recognize that. So there's Antioch in Syria and Antioch in Pisidia. Then he's going to go to Iconium, uh, down to Lystra, and Derby, and I practice this really hard, so it's all in the region of Lacaonia. Yeah, all right. Um, so slide two then. And uh, so I set the stage. They're in this room and they're praying. And Acts 13.2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and praying, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's really interesting to see here that these uh, folks um, didn't spend a lot of committee time deciding on who were going to be their missionaries. They didn't spend uh, a lot of time with fundraising. The Holy Spirit said, send Barnabas and Saul, and they left without support other than the Holy Spirit. In the case of Antioch, the mission came first. The Holy Spirit spent, sent the most mature believers. I guess that's the other exciting part is that often in church, we'll send, we choose our missionaries as young people who want to go into the mission fields. There's nothing wrong with that. But here in this case, they sent their most mature believers. Um, so the Holy Spirit sent the most mature believers, the leaders of the church, to reach the lost in the ends of the earth with no fundraising, lengthy preparation, or committee work. Later, Barnabas and Saul returned to Antioch, and the church was built, but not until unsaved Gentiles had been reached for Christ. And slide three. So our first stop is the island of Cyprus. They go down to, um, they go down to the shore, catch a boat, go to Cyprus, Paul, or Saul and Barnabas. Be really careful with Saul and Barnabas because there comes a point here really quick where something very important happens. So right now, we refer to them as Barnabas and Saul. And all the other elders have helped prepare me for this um, point because they, too, have been real careful with Barnabas and Saul. All right? So in the case of... Um, our first stop is the island of Cyprus. Barnabas and Saul leave Antioch and land on this island. They travel across Cyprus preaching and sharing the gospel. Um, as a result, many people are converted, and the proconsul, governor appointed by Rome, Sergius Paulus requests, with the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that they travel to Pompos and meet with him. When um, you're doing, well, okay, so let's, let's stop right there. Last night, as I was going to bed, and Orlando knows I was up scribbling notes as, uh, as soon as I got up. But as I was going to bed, I could hear pastor saying, Okay, Dwight, you might have it, but who is God and what is he doing here? And uh, clearly we see in uh, 1.8 that uh, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. God here is the Holy Spirit. What is he doing? He's preparing the way. He's preparing the way for Saul and Barnabas to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He's appointing Saul to be our representative, the guy that preaches to the Gentiles. He, um, and and um, I guess we'll just move ahead and find out. Um, but uh, I guess where I'm trying to go here is that for some reason, the elders asked me, they said, so why is it this proconsul, this Sergius Paulus, who was actually a really uh, important person in this area at the time, he would be, sim well, it was the same kind of role as Pontius Pilate had, so you know he had a lot of authority. He was the governor over this district, this whole district that was on the map that we were talking about. He is appointed by Rome, so he has the authority of Rome to lead and direct. And yet, for somehow, as Paul and Bar Saul and Barnabas are walking across Cyprus as they are preaching in synagogues, as they are meeting people, as they are talking with people, and they are converting people. Sergius Paulus hears about this, 
and he invites them to his um, palace to come talk to him and, and share the gospel with him. So how did that happen? Well, it's clearly by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit we see is to answer pastor's question that he asked me last night that he didn't know he asked me. Um, the Holy Spirit is preparing Paul for this mission. And at the same time, he's preparing the way. Barnabas and Saul are requested to meet with proconsul Sergius Paulus, but are confronted by a false prophet named Elmas Bar-Jesus. Well, Bar-Jesus um, is uh, one of these kinds of guys that hangs out around people of authority. And I think you could probably still find them today, but especially in first century, um, they would use magic tricks, anything they um, could come up with, including uh, demonic worship, to attract the attention of people in power. That would give them power and authority and money and everything else that they needed and wanted. And so this is one of those guys, a magician that's hanging out in the governor's palace. And he doesn't want Paul and Barnabas to... Uh, interact with the governor because he recognizes that something's going about wrong. The other thing is, is that Bar-Jesus' name, he's appointed himself Bar-Jesus, means the son of Jesus. Now, isn't that blasphemy in itself? Okay, and so Paul um, rebukes him uh, and the evil he represents, blinding him. And in Acts 13, 8, but Elmas, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn, to the, turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, and that's the point. This is a big point right here because we no longer call him Saul. We call him Paul. Paul is his Gentile name. His mission is to the Gentiles, and forevermore we will call him Paul. So I won't have to struggle with that anymore. He is Paul. But Paul, but Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And in 11, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for some time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Why is this important? Well, first we see God the Holy Spirit is preparing the way by um, introducing Paul to the proconsul. The proconsul then gives him permission and blessing. He has the authority of Rome now to travel through these countries. And so it's kind of like he got his passport stamped. But um, Sergius Paulus is also one of the first Gentiles that we know about. And it's also neat that in this, these two chapters, there's five people named. Paul, Barnabas, John, Sergius Paulus, and, of course, the magician. Um, why is it important? Paul demonstrates his authority given to him by the Holy Spirit by rebuking the false prophet. He converts Sergius Paulus, opening all the area of Pisidia, to the apostles with the authority of the Roman government, the proconsul. And here, on the scriptures, changes and lists, the, I'm sorry, from here on, the scripture changes and lists the apostle Paul before Barnabas, and we'll call him Paul, his Gentile name for the rest of the book, defining his mission to the Gentiles. And we're also reminded that when we're calling on the Holy Spirit, when we're doing God's work, we could be attacked. Um, and we've, we've seen it here, and, and, you know, the closer we are to God and the closer we're doing his work, we know those attacks are going to come, and uh, we have to be prepared for them. We have to be ready for them. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. So where do they go? They go to Antioch, but not the place that we talked about at the beginning. They go to Antioch of Pisidia located in the mountains of Turkey. So they, they travel across the Mediterranean by ship. They land on the shores. And then it's like a 150-mile hike up through the mountains to Antioch. Now, John, at this point, drops out. And he's mentioned very briefly in 13, 
that essentially he, he was listed as a left, and he was listed when he broke off. And it doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't fit with the story right now, but he will fit with the story later. And the neat thing about Acts is it tends to kind of build on itself. So the point is that for some reason, whether he's worried about bandits in the mountains, whether he's worried about hiking, uh, whether he is ill, I mean, theologians have come up with a lot of good reasons why John left, but John turned back, and this is going to interfere with Paul and Barnabas' relation farther down the line. So slide four, the synagogue at Antioch. I'd like to spend a little time here. Paul and Barnabas entered the church in Antioch, or the synagogue, I'm sorry. They go to the synagogue and partake in a normal Sabbath worship. They don't announce themselves. They don't interrupt. They worship. And when Paul shares the gospel, using his years of training and education, it is uh, on the, in the way that the Jews will understand. So he understands his audience. He goes in. He doesn't barge in and go, I'm here on mission from the Holy Spirit. He knows the Jews. He understands Jewish worship. Paul spent his life. He was prepared. Paul spent his life as a young man in Jerusalem learning the Jewish law, learning the Torah, memorizing full books of, of Scripture. And now, not only is he, is he prepared by the Holy Spirit and sent off on this message and on this mission, he, he's there and he understands his audience. And so he begins talking. It's kind of like, if we step back to um, the point with Sergius Paulus, it's kind of like park rangers, me being an ex one now, um, go through a lot of training and a lot of um, learning before we become a park ranger. And there's college that occurs, and then there's a law enforcement academy that occurs. And after academy, there's um, time where you're spent making application, you're um, interviewing, you're doing other things. There's background checks, there's interviews with psychologists, there is a lie detector test, and uh, about eight out of ten people don't make it through that part. But once they make it that part, and they've been selected and uh, placed into a park, there's one last uh, test that goes on, and that's a ride-along, uh, ranger's orientation. And they spend about three months riding with another ranger. And that ranger, for the first half of that time, is teaching and instructing them and telling them how to work in this park and showing them roads and, and other things. And, and going forward there, following that, the last half, that teaching ranger does nothing but listen and write. And he writes a report every day to the boss about what's occurring, how this person is, is doing, and, and going forward. And as that ranger progresses then, at the end, there's a recommendation made to the boss. Are we going to keep him or are we going to not? After all this preparation and all this time, if he doesn't mesh well with a ranger training officer, if he doesn't perform well on the job, he's, he's not going to be retained. And that's kind of like what we see with Paul. He's gone through all this training, all this time in the synagogue, all this time doing his best to please God, and now... Holy Spirit's put him on the road, and it's at the point with Elmas that he, um, he kind of earns his credentials and moves forward. And then we see him here in the church of Antioch um, preaching. And um, so he's there, he's worshiping, and, and someone asks him, well, brothers, could you share from us? Now, it's, it's interesting that they pick on him sitting in the, in the pew or sitting on the floor and saying, go ahead and share for us. But Paul is somebody new. He's a new face there. He's different. It looks like he's been traveling. And uh, he may even still be dressed in uh, the robes of a Pharisee that he was originally. And so um, they ask him, they say, Paul, can you, or sir, can you share with us? And he stands up. He speaks from Exodus, Psalms, Habakkuk, and Isaiah. He reminds them of the things which they have already have um, a firm knowledge and the scriptures he reveals um, and in the scriptures he reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, understanding his audience, knowing what to speak, where to uh, bring them and how to bring them the gospel. It's something that's always 
puzzled, not puzzled me, but I've been curious to know because these guys are going out and they're preaching the gospel while they're living the gospel. I mean, we've got the gospel and we can read it, and yet they didn't have. And so Paul clearly goes back and talks about the Exodus. He talks about David. He talks about uh, Saul. He talks about David. Let me get that right in order. Then he talks about John the Baptist, who Jesus is, and then he actually makes an evangelical pitch. He actually offers them salvation. He speaks of Exodus, Psalms, and Habakkuk. He reminds them of things which they have a firm knowledge in the scripture. And uh, a man named Charles Spurgeon said something very wise, and I liked it, and I put it in here right now because I think it addresses where Paul's at. Oh, preacher, you are about to stand up if you're about to stand up to see what you can do, it will be to your wisdom to sit down speedily. But if you stand up to prove that your almighty Lord and Master can do through you, then infinite possibilities lie around you, Charles Spurgeon. So how do you preach the gospel before it's written? His sermon consists of three parts. Old Testament history, talks about the Exodus, um, God's provision through Jesus Christ, and then an invitation to believe. Paul starts by reminding the Jews of the exile. He tells them the king Saul and David. He describes Jesus and his work on earth. And Paul reads, um, and you know, if you, if you do nothing else besides go back and, and read Paul's sermon, I think you'd be really blessed by the chance to do that. So I'm only going to read you a tiny little bit of it, and that's the invitation that he gives to the Jewish people. Acts 13.38 let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This man was a Jesus. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing the work in your days a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. People were amazed with Paul's message. Many were converted, and next week, perhaps thousands show up to hear Paul speak with, um, about Jesus. The Bible says nearly the whole town showed up. That, that causes division. The Jews are jealous. The, Bible or the gospel causes division. We see that today, too. The Jews are jealous large crowds that turn out to hear Paul and Barnabas and begin to argue with them. Paul's response is written in chapter or verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Paul's announced his mission, hasn't he? Um, so the gospel divides and it also glorifies. Because in 48 then, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I also heard pastors say, who am I and what am I to do? Um, I'm this humble servant standing here relying on the Holy Spirit with a belief in Jesus Christ the travel we see in the beginning of chapter 14 continues to be the pattern of the apostles um, through Asia Minor Paul and the others tell their story of the gospel they win, as they tell their story they win many converts but their opposition begins to grow and they must flee to another town this was the way the gospel was spread Interesting to note that Jews are causing problems outside of Jerusalem. You would think, and um, the, the story about the woman at the well is probably one that uh, enforces that in my mind the most, is that um, Jews made every effort to avoid the Gentiles, especially avoiding the, Samaritan, uh, yeah, the Samarians. But um, here, they were actually following Paul and Barnabas and trying to disrupt Trying to, and so they're following them into 
uncharted territory. You would think that the Jews would be, as soon as they're out of Jerusalem, going, oh, man, I'm glad those guys are gone. But that's not the case. They're continuing to fall and continuing to try to disrupt. This is the way the gospel was spread. Interesting to know. Okay. In Iconium, we see chapter 14 open with Paul and Barnabas already in Iconium. And Paul and Barnabas, um, again, enter the synagogue and begin preaching the gospel. They encounter some controversy and quite, um, and yet spend quite some time in the city preaching and winning converts to the way. But the community becomes more divided and hostile. And um, when the apostles learn of a plot to have them stoned, they slip out of town and travel to Lystra. So fleeing to the cities of Laconia. Lacaonia, sorry. Um, in Lystra, they begin preaching when Paul notices a crippled man and heals him by commanding that he stand to his feet. The man is healed by faith. And uh, that's a, a tough thing to think of. I know that uh, personally, I've been involved with people and, and prayed for them and, and prayed that they be healed, and yet they weren't. Probably the biggest example of that is Karen Webb. I don't see Dawn here today, but, uh, you know, 25 years ago, I went to Karen's house with a group of people, and we prayed together that she be healed. And you know what? God may have healed her, but he healed her in a way that we didn't expect. He did put her in a place where she was more active in the church after that. She was a missionary lady. She was the bulletin board lady. She called everybody anytime that something was going on. So God had prepared a way for her, but it wasn't what I expected in a healing. And, uh, and the other thing that's, that's difficult about this is um, the man was, the, the Bible says the man was healed by faith, or, or Paul says that he saw that he had faith. Here's some examples of faith. Um, in Matthew 8, 10, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. That's Jesus speaking. Matthew 9, 22. Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith, be it done to you. 13, 58. And he did not do many good works there because of their unbelief. And then finally, Matthew 15, 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. And her daughter was healed immediately. Faith indeed is an important element in healing. We have to be careful here. I need to ask myself, if someone is not healed, is it because they didn't have enough faith? Or perhaps they didn't understand God's will? It is helpful to see here that the in this passage, the word healed is the same used as for the word saved. So... Um, we see that here, and we also see it in John, um, and, and maybe other places, but it's the only two places I know for sure of, is that the word healed is synonymous with the word saved. And so I guess what we can count on is eternal life with Jesus, a, a saving grace with Jesus, and uh, that's, that's probably the most important part. The other thing is, is that James speaks of, the, of spiritual healing, becoming a complete uh, person. In 1 Corinthians 15.22, we see, for as, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So I guess the worst thing can happen with us is we be alive in Christ. Um, let me give you two examples. How are we doing on time? Oh, let me give you one example. Uh, a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago, I had cancer, and it was a bad cancer. Um, it was serious stuff. I go in and do all the testing and all the stuff, everything else I do, and my doctor says, well, we've got to get you into surgery, and we've got to do it right away. And uh, he goes, I know a guy who's one of the best surgeons here in uh, this county, and uh, I'm, I'm going to go talk to him, see if I can get him scheduled to, to work with you. He uh, walks in visits with the surgeon, comes back, says, yeah, I got it all set. And I can't remember if it was the next day or if it was Monday. So it was either the next day or the day after. But it was right away. Went right into surgery. Um, following surgery, I was supposed to meet with a surgeon, and he was supposed to tell me the outcome. Well, he didn't show. In fact, he sent some dummy in to tell me jokes, which was the last thing a guy needed when he's coming out of surgery. Um, 
And so it was a week later when I saw the surgeon in his office, and he said to me, he says, you know, a funny thing happened to me. Uh, he said, uh, you know, your, your doctor came in to, do, um, to ask for a schedule to get you in to have an operation. And I looked at my appointments, and I said, no problem. I got all day open. And uh, so they scheduled my surgery and had it ready to go. And um, the surgeon says, he goes, I didn't realize until I came in Monday morning to do your surgery. And somebody says, doctor, why are you here? And uh, I said, well, I've got, got surgery. And he says, but it's supposed to be your vacation. You see, the reason that that appointment book was open was because he had scheduled vacation to be off fishing with his buddies in Oregon. And yet he had forgotten all the weekend until my surgery. And so God healed me, but he healed me in a way that I can share it with you today. And, and uh, so that's the only story I'm going to share with you right now. Uh, so the best answer is people, us, are healed in the manner that God chooses for his glory. Following the healing, the people of Lystra um, are amazed and begin calling Paul and Barnabas gods. They prepare sacrifices and attempt to worship them much to the apostles' displeasure and uh, horror. Stoning of Paul. So they go from wanting to call them gods and worship to them. They brought some cattle down. They're going to slaughter these cattle and everything else. And uh, Paul and Barnabas go, absolutely not. Well, it happens to be those same Jews have been following them through the countryside are there. And they incite people. And they decide they're going to stone Paul. And they do. They take him out and knock the heck out of him. And it's interesting. Pastor thought I was going to talk a lot about stoning, and I'm not. There's no sense of uh, talking about brutality, but at least in Jerusalem, stoning, even though it was a horrible death, was orchestrated and controlled. Um, you went in, you you had your day in court, witnesses spoke, a verdict, or a judgment was ruled, there was time in jail, you would take out bound, and the witnesses, the neat thing about, or not the neat thing, but the important thing about being a witness is you were the one that had to cast the first rock. So the witnesses would throw their rocks and then everybody else and it was a done deal. It's still incredibly brutal, incredibly painful. But here, it's the Jews inciting a crowd who pick up rocks and just beat the snot out of uh, Paul. And these are also people who recognize and understand death. These are people who butchered their own chickens. These are people who... Um, buried grandpa in the ground when uh, when he passed away. They knew death. And they took Paul out and they whacked him hard and they assumed he was dead. And he's laying there on the ground and his disciples come out. His disciples come out and when they go to look at Paul's body, he jumps up. A miracle. And what's he do? He goes back into the city. The next day they leave and, uh, and continue on to the community of Durba. Um, after spending some time in Derby and the surrounding countryside, they retraced their steps, visiting every city they had originally visit, uh, visited and now go to the churches they had started, strengthening them, praying uh, with them, and appointing elders. They had passed through Pisadia, Perga, oh, I'm sorry, Pisadia. Pamphylia, Perga, and Italia, speaking the word uh, as they went. But in Antioch, they gave the church a report of their mission and um, stayed for a long time in that church. Um, so in Derby, they continued to preach. It doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of controversy. It's kind of neat that he's only 50 or 80 miles away from his hometown. So I don't know if he had a chance to run back and visit parents. That's irrelevant to the story, but it would be nice if he did being a parent myself. But to conclude this then, the adventure tale clearly reflects the work of the Holy Spirit through Paul and Barnabas. Along the way, Paul is appointed to become apostle to the Gentiles. God has been glorified by Paul's trials and efforts. Through Paul, Jesus requests to carry the gospel to, through Paul, Jesus's request to carry the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth has begun. 
the Gentile churches he has started are supported, which begins the second part of Paul's ministry, and the letters um, he sent them uh, are the same letters which support us today. So as Paul begins to go back through those cities, the cities that he was chased out of, the cities he was stoned in, the cities he was forced to leave, he goes back and he spends time with those churches that he started. He preaches and teaches with them. He helps them elect elders and church leadership and supports their church and goes on. And later in his life, he writes them letters and the letters that we use today. Um, that's about all I've got for you today. And I ask uh, that uh, you join me in prayer and then these guys are going to sing some more. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just ask that you bless your word. That uh, as uh, we spend the um, the rest of this time in communion, Lord, and, and uh, just looking upon your face, Lord, that uh, uh, we remember the journeys and, and troubles of Paul and Barnabas. We remember their appointment to the Gentiles, and we remember their work, Lord, and we remember the work of the Holy Spirit as he prepared the way, as he appointed the people, and he did good works. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. We skipped past our time of God stories, so I want to come back to that and make sure we have a chance to share God stories. Dwight, if you want to grab the microphone, and if anyone has God stories to share, let's spend some time sharing what God's doing in your heart and life. So about a year ago, I am, first off, I'm adopted, and um, my parents and I never looked for my mom or my dad. And about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was able to find my grandmother. And I spent from September of 2017 until March of 2018 talking with my grandmother. And last year, I asked my grandmother about my mom. And one year ago today, on my birthday, March 3rd, um, March 3rd, my mother, my biological mother, reached out to me, and I have been talking with her since um, last March. And I just, I, from the time I was a little girl, I wanted to know my birth family. I wanted to find them, and. Um, Amazingly, God provided that for me 38 years later. So, Amen. Another one. Daryl's got his hand up. He just got back from... Uh, yeah, I had uh, thyroid cancer and uh, was diagnosed as cancer. I had a lymph node that uh, was diagnosed... It turned out that I had uh, 40 lymph nodes removed. Um, I'm thanking God for that, but the main thing, uh, God uses you folks, and uh, I know that there was <laughs> a multitude of prayers going up. I was bothered all kinds of hours with uh, people concerned in their prayers. Uh, there were some complications that concerned us. Um, one was there were a couple of nodes below my collarbone that uh, doctor didn't think he could reach uh, easily. He, he called in a cardiologist. That turned out, praise God, that he was able to do that. I know that prayers um, uh, were made that to, to soften those bones and stuff so that it could be pliable. And I have no choice but to believe he did just that. Uh, there was a nerve that went from my brain to... Uh, my vocal cords that the doctor said there's a chance it's wrapped around the uh, mass that's in there and uh, if it is it may get damaged and I lose my voice so in, in addition to MRSA and sepsis and all this stuff that can happen in the hospital I came out really good doctor gave me a, uh, a, a good outcome he said I got it all and uh, I, I praise him first of all and thank every one of you that prayed for me. Thank you, son. I saw a hand back here. Well, Dwight brought up Karen Webb during his sermon, and 
Um, she has been an inspiration to me. Um, she's probably done more ministry from her wheelchair than most of us do. But um, the reason Don wasn't here this morning because she's having difficulty and um, he had to go down there. So he asked me to ask everybody for prayer for Karen. So. Ruben? Is that a fancy new cane? Uh, yeah, you know, a little extra uh, support there. <laughs> uh, hello. Um, yeah, I don't like it up here. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, Neither do I. <laughs> last week I told you guys, uh, uh, you know, they found a lump on my head. It was diagnosed, you know, cancer. cancer. And then on Tuesday, then I would start, you know, this new battle. Uh, by the way... I want to tell you ahead of time, this is like, it's good news. It may not sound like it, but I'm telling you right now, it's uh, good news. Um, I want to read this first. It says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are, my favorite words, not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All right. Um, well, uh, Tuesday came, and... Uh, Went to Seattle, did all the testing and so on. Um, you know, we knew about that. Uh, Wednesday was a day for results. And uh, it was a numbing experience. And I am very grateful that I have my brother Jim there. Um, it's crazy. Uh, for a minute, you know, my doctor... Straight to the point, with a, but you know, with a warm heart, straight to the point, came in and said, "I, I have bad news for you. Um, the cancer that you have is all over your body, and there's nothing we could do about it." So you know, for that second there, now well, actually for the next few hours, <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a little numbing because you're standing in one of the finest facilities when it comes to cancer treatment, and they're telling you that there's nothing they can do about it, you know? So, um, yeah, I was numb. Uh, brain kind of shut off for a minute. On the way back, uh, Jim kind of tried to give me as much space as possible. And I took a nap. I woke up. I'm thinking about it again. And then all I hear is, uh, what are you doing? And I realized that, the good news, I realized that now I have been completely, totally separated from the world. All right? I like, there's, you know, they're telling me they can't do anything about it, but the one that carries me and takes care of me is actually Christ, right? And his Holy Spirit. So... You know, that joy surpassed the numbness, and it woke me up again. And by this time, we were able to pull over and have some lunch and have an amazing conversation that, you know, it just woke me up again. You know, and uh, ever since then, you know, just loving it because all I ask now of my father is that he gives me enough time to share what he has put in my heart to share with everybody. Um, besides that, <laughs> when I go home now, I go home later, I get, I get to go home, you know? And uh, all I wanna do is um, help save as many hearts as possible because the return of Jesus Christ is around the corner, you know? And uh, that is uh, more important above all. And he does promises that promise that there's absolutely no amount of suffering that can compare with the glory that will be, will be revealed in us. So um, I choose not to dwell on that, but to dwell on the opportunity. Um, now I got this urgency in my heart to move forward, and I'm loving it. And, uh, and I continue to ask for your prayers, but on that thought, you know, not about uh, what the world brings, 
for the opportunity that God has given me. All right. Thank you, guys. So you do know that I chose this verse for you today, and that was Corinthians 15.22. For in Adam all shall die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. Amen. Anybody else? All right. First of all, I want to say to everyone here, I am excited about the journey that God's taken Reuben on. I am so glad I can be a part of it because there are souls out there that needs to be saved, and God's going to send Reuben where he wants him to go. That is a praise in my heart today. But I had a little God story this week. I had to go back down to my house on Monday to let reruns come in and pick up things we'd given them. And when I got back, I had this little message on my phone. This lady said, we bought a camera at your estate sale, and we found a desk full of pictures. So I called her back, and as we were talking, I shared with her how I knew where my bill was, that he was born again. She says, you know, that's wonderful. I said, I'm born again, too, and I'm going to go one day. And I said to her, are you born again? She says, yes, I am. She says, I was a Jew, but I have become a Christian, a Jew for Jesus. And I thought, man, Lord. And then she shared with me that her parents also accepted Jesus. So she said, I'll see them in heaven also. That started off my week, and there's just been one right after the other. But God is so good, you people, so good. And there's hurting people out there that need us just to listen to them. So I'm so glad for this opportunity. I love everyone over here. I'm so glad to see Daryl back. Praise the Lord. That's a good answer to prayer, and I know he's going to do well. It's just good to have him back so we can pick on him, huh? Okay. Okay. Keep praying for me. I don't know what's going to be next. <laughs> 